Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Hi, Brenton Ford here. Welcome to the Effortless Swim podcast. My guest today is someone who I think you'll find very fun, inspiring, and motivating. My guest is Kim Swabenbauer, and she's a professional triathlete from the US. She's also a nutritionist, so we talk a little bit about nutrition as well. But Kim and I were going to meet up in Melbourne when she was in town for the Melbourne Ironman. It's an event she placed third in as a pro, and unfortunately, we couldn't get our calendars to align. Uh, we were both sort of busy when uh, when each other was available, so we were going to meet up and do some video analysis, but unfortunately, we couldn't do that. Instead, I wanted to get Kim on the podcast to talk a little bit about her story and how she's gone from breaking her collarbone and thinking she'd never be able to swim again to turning pro just three years later. And also to talk a little bit about nutrition and how she's changed some aspects of how she fuels herself for races and training and how that's gone to help her with her with her results. And also we talk a little bit about life, what she gets out of the sport and the reason she's still so motivated to do it and the reason she's still going so well at it uh, so many years down the track uh, after becoming pro. So here's Kim and I were talking about the accident in 2009 when she broke a collarbone and thought she was never going to compete again. So yeah, when you broke your collarbone, do you feel like that like when you when that happened and you, you came back and then you turned, turned pro not that long after it, like a couple of years mm-hmm. after, do you actually mm-hmm. think that adversity and a setback like that can actually be an advantage down the track? Actually, it's funny that you ask that because I do think that it can be an advantage. I've seen I've seen pros in a number of different situations. I've seen pros that have come onto the scene guns blazing and had a lot of success very early and then w- run into problems and then end up really having to take a step back and reevaluate and and they just they really didn't necessarily have the tools quite yet to prepare them. And now you're on a scale that is one that people have a lot of expectations or, and you feel people's expectations and people's pressure, even if it's not there, even if everybody's just wants to see you have a great race and, you know, do a good job and have fun and all those things, you still feel like that's happening. So I've seen pros in that situation where it just, you know, it really sends them into a tailspin. And then I've seen some people who have come up through the ranks, had to literally claw their way, you know, one rung at a time, work those middle rungs where they were not in, you know, at the top yet. And, and then like you said, overcome some adversity and challenges. And I think that it helps equip you with those same tools that you end up needing as a pro. The, the things I got out of that situation as an amateur were really important. Um, and I stared the end of my career in the face and, and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to be done yet. And my husband was a big part of that as well. He, he was just, you know, very encouraging and said, this is just one setback. This is not the end. And um, we were having a lot of trouble at the time in our marriage. And I almost just said, well, it's too much. Triathlon's too much. And it's part of the problem and I'm done. And I'm really <laughs> glad that he was there and didn't let me do that. So it was good. Yeah, it seems like that if you can come out the other side of something like that, uh, you know, whether it be you know, a broken collarbone or whether it be uh, a really bad race or it could be mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe something happen- happening with your work, if you can come out the other side of it, then you you take that learning and you you realize where you went wrong and, and you normally don't make that mistake again and you come out the other side stronger, you're, you're better educated and you come out a little bit smarter and you just kind of take that into your next phase of life or phase of 
phase of professional sport and it makes you just that much better than someone who hasn't been through it. And you see someone like mm-hmm. Mike Tyson who was the, the best at what he did from a very young age and he made all this money and then he got he had the drugs and the alcohol, he went bankrupt and he and now he's coming out the other side of that where he's mm-hmm. he's now got himself back on track. He's got a family. He's uh, there's a movie being made about him and like he's he's kind of you know went really big at an early age and then went down, hit rock bottom, and he's now coming coming back from that. So yeah, you know, if you can come out the other side, it's you just become such a um, uh, yeah, it just uh, you learn so mm-hmm. much as a person. Yeah, and I I really think in in the sport that we do. You have to have your own reasons for both lining up to the start line to end even everything that comes before that. The the training days that are six hours where you do not want to be out on that bike. It is raining. It is cold. It is ugly. You better have your own you know, reasoning and something rooted really deep within your soul about why you're doing this. And it can have nothing to do really truly with... Oh, it just, I'm going to try to, you know, win my age group or it's got to be something even a little bit more than that. And I think that those people who have been through things and have come out, like you said, on the other side, they really believe in their hearts that this is something that they want to do and that, you know, it's, it's for the betterment of themselves as a person and, or they're doing it because, you know, their, their father is watching them from above or because, you know, they've, they promised someone that they would or, whatever it is. And, and those are the kind of people that I think have long-term success in what we do. They, they feel it's much more than just a result on a page. It's, you know, it's part of our journey as people. And, um, and the part of the journey is sometimes you're hitting rock bottom and you're looking up and going, I don't know how I'm ever going to do this. But, mm. you know, that's when you have great people around you that, you know, help build you up and just won't let you fall. So it's pretty neat. Yeah. And I find that when I hit, when I hit that rock bottom or I'm in a a space where I'm just not happy with things and training's mm-hmm. not going well. And when you're in that, you know, when you're feeling like that, I always just try and think back to, all right, it's, it's going to be a roller coaster. You're going to, you're going to hit these lows, but it means that the next high is going to be really high and it's going to come sometime mm-hmm. soon. So you just got to stick it out. But when you're, yeah. you know, when you're down, down there, it is very hard to just remember that. So it's, it is. Um, yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta suffer for a, a couple of weeks and, uh, and mm-hmm. come out of that hole. But, um, yeah. and I've, I found that training at a young age too. Like I was swimming eight, nine times a week and doing a couple of gym sessions when I was in high school. And I think partly because I wasn't getting much sleep, like a couple hours a night mm-hmm. and you've got early morning training, you've got school and you go straight to training again. I was just really, um, just so run down and there was times where I just right. just wanted to, just wanted to sleep in, and um, I didn't never wanted to give it away, but I just I just, I just need a break. I'm so exhausted. But when you come out the other side of it, and then you, you like we had we'd have nationals uh, at the same time every year, and you know, and when that comes to fruition, when those twelve months of hard work towards one or two specific events, and and that comes through, just it's very hard to beat that sort of high. And I don't think many people get to mm-hmm. really uh, experience that sort of um, that sort of process where you're, you're going yeah. from 12 months out for this one thing and mm-hmm. you've got this one chance at it. And if it comes off, it's just the best feeling in the world. I totally agree. And I tell my athletes all the time, I say, you need to ask yourself when you're about to do something that you don't feel like doing 
you need to say to yourself, how do I want to feel when I line up with 2000 plus other people and, you know, you imagine your wetsuit on, you imagine, you know, you could see the, the beginning of the swim start, the music is playing, you know, your heart is pounding. How do you want to feel in that one moment? Do you want to feel like you did everything possible to prepare yourself for this start line that you literally pulled out every stop within reason, obviously, within family balance and all those types of things. But you really, if you had a choice about getting out and doing the workout and there's nothing stopping you and you just decided you weren't going to do your best job or whatever, do you want to question those days when you, when you just kind of put said, ah, it's not that important. No biggie. I'm just going to cut this short. Don't, you're not going to want to, you're going to be wanting to stand on that starting line, feeling those feelings saying I did everything I could. And I will say every iron, you know, distance start line that I have done, I have always said there's pretty much nothing else that I could, I can't <laughs> imagine one other thing I could have done for this. So however it comes out, I am fine with, I will do my best today. And whether that means, you know, fifth place, 10th place or last place, it doesn't really truly matter. All that matters is that I did everything before and I will do everything today that I possibly can. If I do that, I will never be disappointed in myself. And I don't care whether anybody else, how anybody else feels about it other than the way I feel and my husband feels. That's about it. <laughs> so mm. yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point. Uh, yeah. W- what else do you, what do you find you get the most, what is it that you, that you get out of triathlon the most? Is it the, the results that you get? Is it the acknowledgement you get, or is there something else behind, behind what, I guess what motivates you and and where you get most of Mm -hmm. the enjoyment from being a triathlete? I think it goes back to some of the things we we just talked about. I think, um, I, I absolutely don't know any triathlete that doesn't enjoy for the most part, the journey of, of seeing, what you can build. I I love the fact that someone like me can start in 2005 and be holding on to the lane line at one end of the pool, trying to get across the lane, you know, breaststroking and backstroking their way to the other side of a 25 (laughs) yard pool. I like the thought that someone can start there and, you know, come from basically no cycling background at all and and a running background and and just say, I'm going to work every day to because I really really like seeing the progress. I like seeing the the numbers come in. I like feeling fitter as time goes on. I like feeling healthy. I feel like I'm a better person because I'm doing this because it helps me feel accomplished and confident and it helps me feel that I'm, you know, somewhat in control of my own destiny and my own health and things like that. So I, I like the fact that our sport rewards consistency. And guess what? Consistency trumps talent when talent doesn't work very hard. And I am one hell of a hard worker. So (laughs) that part for me was always so great about triathlon because I thought to myself, there's gonna be very few people that outwork me. So if someone's gonna out, you know, outrun, you know, outdo me on that day, it's going to be because they truly were the more talented athlete. And so I love that fact that our sport is so rewarding to people who take care of the details and take care of their nutrition and their, you know, sleeping and recovery and all those things. And, you know, just really enjoy seeing what they can do and and not limiting themselves and and even working on their own mental game because the mental game is such a big part of what we do. So, you know, seeing others do the same as a coach is just one of the most rewarding things about my life. And so I really have made triathlon my life, which is something I never thought I would say, but I just ended up so passionate about it. I just Mm -hmm. couldn't help it. I just like was thrown into it. And, you know, here I am 10 years later, you know, as, as a pro triathlete 
athlete, after I couldn't even swim, you know, that's, that's a good sign that anybody, if I can do it, anybody can truly, you know, reach their potential. And I think that's, that's the cool part about it. That's why I stay in it. Cause I don't even know how good I can get yet. I don't think any of us know. So mm. that's pretty cool. Well, there's, I mean, yeah. I come from a, a swimming background and now I've, I've started to do triathlons. I've got the uh, New Zealand Ironman in March. And so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of getting into that world. And I, I was on the outside of it, I guess, as a, as a purely a, a swimming coach. And I, you know, I'd never really done triathlon. And, you know, I'd see all these triathletes and they're just so just, they just want to get better and they just get, mm-hmm. become obsessed with it. And it's just, it's, they're thinking about it 24 seven. But now that I've started doing it myself, I, I get right. it, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, you're I, one of us now. We're getting you in. You have no choice. Well, I tell people I've, I've turned to the dark side now. So it's, you have. <laughs> it's quite. It's um. But you know, going going yeah. out on rides with your friends and um, like I used to hate riding the bike, but now that yeah. I've gotten stronger on it and I can hold my own, it's mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's so much fun. And then you feel yourself getting strong on the run. And there's just so many different ways you can improve and and see improvement mm-hmm. and you know, and yeah. bring it bring your time down. That it's um. I can see why it's such such an obsession for. for oh, it, it is. Yeah, for most of us, and and most of us are very high che- high achieving, type A, yep. detailed. You know, we're we're people who already are balancing a lot in life. I think it just makes us even better at balancing and and doing all the things that we love to do. It just makes us better on a lot of those different accounts. As long as you can stay within the realm of making sure that the people around you know how appreciated they are and doing all that stuff. I mean, the camaraderie is just exceptional. I feel like um, there's only a few a few bad eggs. Other than that, everybody in the group of triathlon is not, you know, they're usually not arrogant. They want to help each other. I love going out on rides, meeting new people, I, and meeting new people across the world. When I did um, Melbourne, I stayed with, um, shout out to Anna Hoy and Gavin Stewart, who I stayed with and just had a baby. Um, in Melbourne and, and they have, we've literally kept in touch. It's been, um, I think two, two years or, or more, and we're still keeping in touch today. And, and that just doesn't happen very often that you meet people like that and you actually want to talk to them after you go, go and do something. So, you know, that's pretty neat when that is the case. And I think that's cause we have a good group of people. Yeah. yeah. I, I found a similar thing. I was in the, uh, the States about was it, I think twelve months ago, and I met mm-hmm. some uh, yeah met met some athletes over there, and I'm going to be in the states in April, and uh, yeah, and where are you going to be? You never said. Uh, where are you going to come uh, to? It's still not 100 percent locked in, but it's looking like uh, San Fran, uh, LA, okay. Uh, okay. over near New York, and possibly Texas. So I'll be covering the whole the whole sort of oh, wow. country, <laughs> um, but Great. yeah, just just still locking those in. So. Um, I'll probably be there for two to three weeks, I think. So, mm-hmm. where, whereabouts are you? Where are you? Looking? I'm in I'm in Pennsylvania, the the, the tri and near Pittsburgh, the the triathlon capital of the world. Just kidding. It's it was eight <laughs> degrees here today, oh, um, Fahrenheit. So I don't know what that is Celsius, but it's I don't cold. Really know. It's, yeah, really <laughs> cold is what it is. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that is that so. Central America, like in the middle of the the country? It's Central Central. Um, no, no, not even Central. It's very, very um, under New York. So, you know, just south of New York. I can drive to New York in about, uh, I would say, about two and a half hours. But it's the very bottom of New York. It would take me about six hours to get to New York City. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. But it is, yeah, things like that are drivable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) Um, well, great. Yeah, I'll see if we can catch up when I'm over there. That'd be good. That would be be so nice. I would really like it because you're the swimming guru and 
gosh knows I need help swimming. So um, <laughs> that would be so great. Was yeah. there a, a point with your swimming where you felt like, I mean, coming from next to no swimming experience, mm-hmm. was there a point where you felt like it clicked for you? I would not say that that was really ever what happened. <laughs> no, I do not think it did. I honestly think um, I started out with some good fundamentals because I, I did start out using some methodologies that I feel like started me and learned the right place with balance in the water and body position. So I started out really not not pressing myself to be fast. I just, I really wanted to master some um, very basic things that I thought would be important later. So I spent the time doing that. And then um, sort of just details as time went on, I just, I was relentless about a videotape, go back to my coach, you know, at the time, what do I need to do? What drills? Okay, starting again. What am I doing now? Let's videotape again. You know, just really making sure that over the years, especially through those middle years, that I just never, ever just was lackadaisical in examining my form. And, you know, I mean, just obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of yards. And then once I turned pro, it became, well, you're going to have to swim six days a week. And that's just how it's going to be if you want to even remotely get out within, you know, five to 10 minutes of these girls, that's the only way you'll even compete in the race. So you either that or you'll never see anyone. Um, pretty much, you know, you won't even have a chance to run anyone down because everyone else will be gone and they're already be, you know, at the finish line. So, um, I think it was more just, um, you know, continuing to always pay attention to form, always thinking about what I was doing. I never was a person who would be willing to put on headphones when I was swimming. I, I always thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to do that. I have to be thinking every moment about, where my hand is? Do I feel my, my lat engaging? Is my elbow staying high underwater? Am I getting that push through the whole way through my stroke so that I can really make sure that I come out the back far enough? I always am thinking about one or two to three things, you know, that are going on in my stroke. And that's, you know, always just been kind of how it is. And then, then just improve over time. I had Joe um, Rodriguez on the podcast who's of Tower 26 in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. We and, all know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he and one of the things he spoke about was presence, and he was talking mm-hmm. about getting rid of the the garment and just thinking, yeah. thinking and, and feeling what your what your stroke is doing, and that yep. and same thing with headphones. If you're if you're listening to music, yeah. it might be it might make the time go quicker, but there's a really mm-hmm. good chance that you're not going to be you're not going to have 100 percent concentration on right. on your stroke, and and when you're swimming. Like training is, yeah, it's to get fit, but it's really just to dial in your technique and be able to mm-hmm. keep that under pressure. And if you've got any sort of distraction, you're not going to, you're not going to be there a hundred percent with, yeah, with your focus. So it's, um, with swimming, I mean, I think running and biking, you can get away a little bit without being 100% mm-hmm. focused on your technique, but swimming, you've always got to be thinking about it. There's no way. Absolutely. No from oh it. no, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, and, and you think about it, running and, and cycling, you have a point of contact with something else. The, either running, your point of contact is with the ground. The ground is static. But cycling, you are locked into your pedals and, and you know, you're sitting on your seat. Those are your points of contact. Mm. Swimming is a free-for-all. You are literally in a liquid body of water, which has which is so dense, you know, that it, every single movement make, has a huge reaction to it. So every single thing that you do, and you're doing it thousands and thousands of times in one workout. So that's why I find yeah. swimming so amazing and maddening because yeah. you literally, <laughs> you know, the, the habits you develop 
will literally be with you. And, and some of the stuff I developed early, I've had to break because it, it started causing other things from, oh, it just <laughs> is like, you know, really difficult that way. But we're all on that work in progress. If you didn't start a swimmer, which I wish my mother would have done that, um, <laughs> then I, I think we're all in that spot where we're always working to just one little thing, you know, can my hand enter a little bit smoother? Can I get it down a little lower? Can I really get that just, you know, whatever it is. So, mm. yep. Well, when I exactly. made that transition from from swimmer to to coach, the the first mm-hmm. probably two years, I it, I basically knew nothing about teaching other people how to how to swim, and then mm-hmm. I and then I kind of you know I started thinking about what I was actually doing in the water and how that would relate to other people. So right. and I, I noticed that you know every every stroke I'm think I'm adjusting my head position slightly. I'm um, thinking about how my hands entering and how it's extending and then the catch. So mm-hmm. there's all these little, um, yeah, all these little th- things with every single stroke that you're looking to, you're looking to adjust slightly to make them, to make them happen the, in, in the right way. And it's, mm-hmm. there's just all these little things. So if you've got someone who's brand new and they don't really know what to focus on and they've, they've never really been taught what the fund- fundamentals are that are going to make them faster mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. just there's a lot to learn so i think similar to yourself if you can learn the very basics first from your balance mm-hmm. to your body position to um to relaxing and the breathing and then building that propulsion mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. the best way to go about starting someone from from scratch scratches you don't want them to jump in and and just be knocking out 50 to 100 laps of just rubbish technique you've just got to get them mm-hmm. getting the very basics right first of their stroke I totally agree. And actually, if, if I can't personally do that, that time with them, I have athletes go to a separate coach and that is specific to swimming, someone that I have personally vetted and feel good about. Um, you know, luckily my, my assistant coach, um, that's around here, he's, that was his background in swimming. I really trust him. So if they can get to him, I say, you need to see him on a weekly basis, at least for the first, you know, two to three months, we have to do it. There's just no way around it because I can't have you in there doing whatever you want. It's going to, it's going to solidify whatever it is that's going on that you're doing that is not correct. It will solidify it because we are, we are creatures, our, our neurons and our communication system is so good that whatever habit we develop, whether it's good or bad, we're going to be doing it for a long time. So, Mm. um, you know, that that's just so critical for a new swimmer because they're totally overwhelmed. It feels so foreign to be in the water as an adult. And if you didn't grow up that way and you have to get started with some sort of technique work right off the bat, I'd say that's the wisest use of your time and money. You're going to save yourself months worth of, of headaches. And I've had people go, I mean, night and day, two months later, they're a different, different swimmer than when I saw them. And it's just absolutely amazing. So, Mm. um, I think that's really key is to get some good outside help and, you know, get feedback via video and someone else watching you and all those kind of things. And I like like how you, you're consistent with the video, like you, you Mm -hmm. have it filmed, you'd look to make those changes and and get it filmed again. And it's pretty similar to what we do at the clinics is we film at the start we take mm-hmm. them through the drills and the corrections and then we film them again with the iPad and, and show mm-hmm. them what it looks like when they think they're making those changes. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of times, especially with, with crossover, you're coming across the mm-hmm. head with the, the hand, yeah. they might feel like they're swimming really, really wide, but they're still coming across the head. So just yes. little things like that, it's, um, it, can take, it can take a lot of visual feedback to actually to make sure you're doing the right thing in the water. 
I totally agree. Video is so key because you really truly think you're doing it one way and you see that video yeah. and you cannot argue. That's right. <laughs> you cannot argue. <laughs> you cannot tell somebody, yes, I am coach. I'm doing this right. Yeah. You know, I really am. I'm not crossing over anymore. Uh, yeah, we have you on camera. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's really, I mean, I agree. It's the, some of the best feedback that you can do. I had my husband videotape me for years. I'd force him to come to the pool and then we'd send, <laughs> we'd send it to Michael. So I've been doing that stuff. I've been putting him through this kind of stuff for years because I just have, if you have that intention to detail and you know, you want to get better and you know why, and you're willing to spend the time. It's just, it's, you're your own personal project. And I want to be able to swim for the rest of my life. I don't want to just swim for now. I want to swim because swimming, honestly is, has become a part of what I do. And I think it's one of the healthiest things that you can do that has no impact that if you're 90 years old, you can still swim. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's such a great thing to be able to enjoy. And I, should I get thrown off a boat? Guess what? I'm going to live. So, <laughs> you know, that's at least as long as the water isn't, you know, um, absolute, the thing that kills you because you're so, it's so cold. Other than that, I like that idea of being self-sufficient and, mm. and in the water and feeling like, you know what, for the rest of my life, I can teach my kids to swim. I can do other things with it. I, I think that part has been such a gift, you know, to, to be able just to go out in the ocean and swim and not, not worry. That's been really cool. So yeah. Yeah. It, it gives yeah, you a, a different it. kind of confidence when you know that you can handle yourself in most mm -hmm. situations when it comes to water. And right. a, a small thing as well, even as a coach, I'm, I'm at the pool seven times a week coaching and you'll see someone, uh, like see just a public swimmer walk in and mm -hmm. just by looking at them nine times out of 10, I can have a pretty good idea of whether they're going to be a, uh, a strong swimmer or not just mm -hmm. by the way they carry themselves when they walk into the pool. So that, oh, yeah. that confidence when they're going into, um, an environment like that, it, it shows through even just by the way that they, they walk before they've even jumped in the water. So it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's a special kind of confidence you get from being able to, to swim and, um, yes. and be comfortable in the water. Yeah. And I, th my coach and I've had coaches say this to me for years. Um, you fake it until you make it. I don't care what it is we're talking about. If we're talking about swimming, you act like a swimmer. You come in with a swim bag. You come in with all the stuff you need. You, um, you know, use the kind of towel swimmers use. You are a swimmer. They, even if you do not feel like a swimmer, you act like a swimmer. You, you act like exactly like the swimmers would act. You wear the same things that the swimmers would wear. You fake it until you make it because one day you will be a swimmer. Mm. And, and so for a while you don't, you feel like you're a fraud and you're like, I can't, I'm scared. I mean, I, the night before, first night before masters, I couldn't sleep. I, I literally <laughs> didn't sleep all night. I just laid there in bed and I was like, I'm petrified. What if these people are, see that there's no way I can ever keep up and they're going to lap me and all this stuff. And I was so scared, but I was like, you are getting to that master's team because this is one of the ways you're going to get better. And if you have to go in the slowest lane and just take it one time out for every time that, you know, every couple laps, you'll just stop and you'll wait and whatever, you know, then I said, I have to do this. This is part of my development as an athlete and I'm going to do it no matter what. We all take those leaps of faith, you know, in whatever it is we want to do. And if we want it bad enough, we will do it. So, mm. you know, act like a swimmer, you know, until you are one, you just do it anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's it. And you see, we've got quite a lot of, uh, very good swimmers who train at the pool where, where I coach a couple of guys who've been to the Olympics. And when those guys and girls, when they are up, you know, about to jump in the water for a session, they're just so loose, they're so relaxed, they're mm -hmm. sort of shaking their arms out. And just from the moment they dive in, you just see how, how comfortable they are. And right. if you can take that sort of mentality going into your swim session where the first couple hundred meters are going to be really slow, really relaxed, and you're just looking to 
um, to get the feel for the water. It's it's the same as right. what all the all the very top guys do. And having that, yeah, that sort of mindset jumping into the water, it it's going to help you because you're not going mm-hmm. to be hopping in and panicking and and just and just rushing at the start. So yeah, you just want to be relaxed as possible at the the very beginning. Yes, I I totally agree. And and you know what? Sometimes, it, like Jerry said, it's just as much about feel. And not even about time. You know, some of my mm. athletes get obsessed with time and they want to write down every single time. And I say, you know what, you guys are getting too focused. You know, some take take a different approach. Take a feel for the water on some of your sets. You know, take a feel for the water approach. What do you feel happening? Mm. What's going on with your body? Where is your mind? Is your mind able to stay focused? You know, just not always going by things one way. And as we try, athletes like to do it where we just, we cling on to those times and try to use them as some kind of gauge on every single 100 of what we do throughout the entire workout. You know, (laughs) what was it? What was it? You know, and, and sometimes, you know, then they say, well, it was a bad swim workout. And I say, why? And they say, well, because I was, you know, four seconds off my best 100 time. I say, listen, (laughs) this is crazy. You're not going to be, you know, this, um, not every single time that you get in the water, is it going to be that you are at X best day? I said, sometimes we all get in and we do the best work that we can that day and we focus on something else. If it's not time, because that's not going well, then we then change the focus, come up with another thing to think about that day. And then, then you can still have a successful day because you executed that portion of your psyche and your workout and working on that one area. And, you know, maybe it'll make it a great workout in the end. So Mm. you're in control of if you have a good workout or not. And it's not, not just because of time. That's, that's a wrong way to look at it. That's the problem with wearing a, a garment in the in your swim workouts is it's you get too caught up in trying to mm-hmm. have a faster average or you, yeah being too concerned with your times. But you know mm-hmm. if you're doing a most swim sessions, you're going to have some variable pace work where you're going to be going very mm-hmm. easy, very uh, you know medium pace and then fast. And mm-hmm. you know, if you if you're too worried about wanting to have the fastest three k swim set of your life when that's mm-hmm. not the aim of the session, it's just a, you're losing the uh, you're losing the reason that you that you've been there. So, like mm-hmm. on Monday, I did uh, I did a six k swim session, which I haven't done for about ten years. But um, <laughs> and I knew it was going to hurt, even though there was no right. sort of intensity whatsoever. But you know, we didn't um, we had time cycles to go on, but there was just no no concern whatsoever with what times we were coming in in at. It was just all mm-hmm. about technique, being relaxed, and just focusing on a couple of different aspects of my stroke and then just making it through for the the 6k just to get a bit of a bit of endurance in the arms so you know you've yeah and if i had the garment on i'd probably be looking at it after each 400 or each 300 and going Mm -hmm. okay i can go a little bit quicker here because most triathletes and most swimmers are of that sort of mindset is they get competitive and it's hard not Mm -hmm. to get caught up in trying to go better each time that you you hop in the water yeah, and I think enjoyment for us is a big deal. If you dread going to the pool because it becomes a non-enjoyable experience, you're not going to get into the pool more. You're going to get yeah. to get into the pool less. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, what I think for a lot of people, it's what is it going to take for me to enjoy this? And the, the more enjoyment I get out of it, um, over the long term, I'm going to be a better athlete because I'm going to want to go there. I'm going to enjoy working on different things. And so you have to find enjoyment 
from other places other than just, you know, a, t- a time or something like that. There has to be, it's camaraderie with other master swimmers. It's, you know, working on something that you didn't know you, you could work on and you felt something you never felt before. Um, you know, it's those kind of things I think that keep us coming back and enjoying the process of, of working out. And mm. so if you're doing those things and yeah, you'll want to get back in and do another 6k, not instead of making it like this horrible experience, like, you, like, you know, like some of us can do it. Oh, it was awful. And we just kept repeating the same thing over and over. Um, so yeah, we want, we would need some, some breaks from the monotony and, and change it up a little bit is good. Yeah, that's, that's right. And for like, for this, some of the athletes that I coach, if they're, if they surf, I say it's okay to have, depends what they're training for, but it's okay to, right. to substitute a long, easy swim for, for a surf. And that's what I'll do if the, if the surf is good, because I know that, you know, I've swum since mm-hmm. I was very young and, um, and do it, having a surf will be pretty much exactly the same sort of workout as a, as a strength mm-hmm. sort of session would be. And, um, and then, you know, if the weather's good, I might just go and train by myself at an outdoor pool and sit mm-hmm. around the pool for half an hour and just stretch and relax and listen to music and then hop in and, and do the session. Because I know that by the time I get out of that workout, I'm just going to be feeling so good because of outside it's warm weather and it's mm-hmm. um it really feel you can it just feels like summer that way and that's more enjoyable than swimming in an indoor 25 where there's no mm-hmm. air circulation and i'd get out feeling it's really stuffy and you know you, you feel a little bit lethargic from the the stuffy air so it's um, yeah. whatever you can do to make yourself want to come back for that next session as opposed to finishing and going i'm I'm stuffed. I don't want to get back in the water for two or three days. If you can right. make it as enjoyable as it as it can be without, uh, while still getting the uh, what you need to yeah. get done, that's the absolutely. that's so important. Mm-hmm. I totally totally agree. Yeah, you absolutely. That's that's uh, and I wish I could go outside right now and swim outside in the gorgeous weather. You're making me jealous. Yeah, it's, that's it's, uh, su- it's I summer have that over up, there. Sorry, <laughs> isn't it? it? It's isn't it summer right now? For it you is. Guys? Yeah, and we've had such yeah. an awesome summer too. It's been. Oh, I don't know in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, Celsius, it's been high twenties, some low thirties, with some forty wow. degree days as well. So it's been uh, been a really good summer for us. So it's and we're in Melbourne, which which is yeah. normally a little bit colder than than Sydney and and parts of Queensland as well. So it's uh, it just makes training so much better. And but well, I guess one of the good things mm-hmm. that I find about winter is that. Yeah, at the end of summer, sometimes you just you're just so sick of being hot all the time and and not yeah. being cool that you actually look for those cooler days. And then you mm-hmm. get halfway through winter and you go, I cannot wait for summer. And then, <laughs> then you have spring I come know. and it's uh, yeah, and it starts to warm up and it, there's there's some sort of um, there's that sort of feeling in the air where you just got this expectation of summer coming and everyone's excited, mm-hmm. they're enthusiastic and they're motivated, so they're they're going out and they're working out and it's um. It, I, I love that sort of that time of year where you're just coming out of winter and people are really starting to fire mm-hmm. up for the for the summer. I t- I totally agree, and it's so funny here because in the in the early season, you know, people are excited about getting out on the bike and and we're wearing all the you know we're wearing lots of clothes because, and you don't know what to wear and all that kind of stuff. And then but then after they've been through the summer and they go into the fall you know, people are still wearing things that they would probably not, you know what I mean? If it was the same temperature in the spring, they would have done something totally, worn something totally different. You know, yeah. they would be like, you know what I mean? They'd be in the spring, they'll be overdressed. And then in the, and, and the summer, everybody's like, oh, it's still fine. You can still wear shorts. And I'm thinking if this was, you know, what it was in, in uh, March or April, I'd be freezing. 
So um, it's just kind of funny how things change. And But I love how we're outside for all the, you know, what we do requires we be outside for pretty much the entire year. I've run in every single condition possible throughout my career. And I've, I've really been on that bike through just about almost everything possible. So, um, it's, it's pretty neat. We get to see the world from that kind of, you know, place. Like, I think that's something that people don't realize that we have, but we really do. We're, we're one with whatever's going on outside and in nature. And it's, it's pretty cool to get to see those seasons firsthand and get it to experience them. You know, it's pretty neat. And it, it actually it puts you more in touch with, with nature than most other people, uh, I, I guess are in touch with. So you might, mm-hmm. the average person might look at what the weather's going to be this day, uh, that day. Is it going to mm-hmm. rain? But as a, as an athlete, you, when you're getting on the bike, if you're going for a run or if you're swimming, you're looking at, all right, what's the, uh, what's the wind doing? Is there mm-hmm. rain coming at any different times? And, and you really get a feel for the different seasons, especially when you're on the bike and, and just getting out into, like into the, into nature where you've, got yeah. um you might be going out in the forest or you're going along the the beach like we've got some some awesome bike riding along melbourne which you would have seen last year mm-hmm. um, yeah along the well you, you're riding along east link but then there's there's beach yeah. road which has got some awesome views and i rode it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's exactly. just, just so nice when you get a, a day where there's no wind and the water is just glass and you know you're going for a ride with a couple of mates um or going for a swim out there as well it's just it's you come out of there just feeling like you're like you're sort of back mm-hmm. in touch with uh, with with who you are, and then you, mm-hmm. you know, it's just good to get out of the office or away from the computer and to be able to do that. I totally agree. I on those days when you're riding your bike and the sky is blue, and I literally think there is nothing in this world that I would rather be doing. You could pay me a million dollars to do something else, and I'd still do this because this is where I'm truly in my happy place, where I feel alive and. You know, I'm just so thankful, and I, I think having that kind of attitude makes every workout better. It makes everything that you can give back and give to others better. I just think mm. you are in a better space if you can really appreciate those kind of things, and and that is a good feeling. And there's really not a whole lot of things, you know, for me personally that that, that I do activity wise that could replace that. You know, that's mm. that's special when you get to those kind of places. You're like man, this is good. This is why I do this. It's not, it's not necessary. I mean, yeah, it's great to cross the finish line and do all that kind of stuff. But when you're enjoying stuff like that, it's really, um, it's really part of what makes this beautiful, this whole, this whole process. So mm, I love it. And yeah. When I, when I first came out of university, I was working for a, uh, for a swimwear company and I was just sort of doing the nine to five type thing, Monday to Friday. And that was coming from a, from university where I had, you know, had basically no schedule. And, you know, as a student, you've got all this free time and you can do what you like when you want. And I felt the hardest transition I found was just not being able to go outside during the day. And f- especially back then I was surfing a lot. And if I saw mm-hmm. that the surf report was good and I yeah. had, to, had to be at work, I was, I was, I was <laughs> a very so cranky. Sad. Yeah, I was, I was not happy. So, yeah. um, and now, and now I'm fortunate enough to be in the, in the position where I've got control of my schedule, where I get to coach and run clinics and camps and mm-hmm. things like that. And, um, and just be in control of that so that, you know, when the weather is good, I can go for a ride or a swim or a surf and, and be outside during the, the middle of the day, which is something that I valued highly. And I'm just mm-hmm. so grateful that I can that I can do that now because I know that if I was if I had to be in an office right now I, I it just yeah I just feel like I'd really be missing out on on the weather and the 
yeah. know, and being outside. Right. And I totally agree. And which leads me into another interesting little bit of a point is, is that when I was, I did the same thing. I worked nine to five, long, long time, eight, nine years, and then did the same thing as you, as you went out on my own. And, um, for the first year or year and a half, when I was out training during the day, I, I would call, <laughs> I would call my husband or I'd call people and I would say, you're not going to believe this. Guess where I am right now. And they'd be like, where? And I'd be like, I'm at a grocery store on route, whatever, you know, doing this. And I'm, I'm picking up a Coke, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, do that. And then I'm going to ride another 30. It was like, I was, it was like, I was cheating the system. I really <laughs> thought I was getting away with something that nobody else. And, and I, it was, it was terrifying because all of a sudden there was no paycheck coming in except for one I was going to make. And so, you know, obviously that part was terrifying, but it also felt like I was like a kid in a candy store. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I had beat everyone. You know, but then I realized what it's really like, which is, you know, I got as I got more and more into it, I realized I work seven days a week. I work um, (laughs) pretty much from the time I get up until the time I go to bed. I am checking my email. I'm responding. So I realized that there are trade offs with whatever it is that we do Mm -hmm. and um, that being a pro is is not an easy life that I did. I didn't just choose, you know, uh, this easy thing that was just going to be handed to me that I chose something that was so difficult that the majority of people just drop out before they even get to see whether they're any good or not, because it's so hard. But yet it was, you know, such, it was, it was like something I would never change about my entire life doing that whole thing and the whole experience start to finish. But, um, it's funny how I went from, you know, the, the way I felt about it in the beginning, which was still, is still true. It's just, I've seen uh, all kinds of sides of it now where I've seen everything from the start to the in-between to (laughs) what it takes to be really good. And, um, and how it means I have to structure my whole life. And, and it's, um, it's really interesting to see. And I would, I would love to mentor new pros on it because guess what? It's not an easy transition all the time about it. So, no. um, yeah, so and, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And as you said, there's, there's pros and cons to each of those. And like, I look mm-hmm. at, I look at what I'm doing now and I'm coaching mornings and nights most days and then I'm trying to fit mm-hmm. in my own training and then got the business mm-hmm. and got family at home and, it's um, and then I go, geez, wouldn't it just? I think wouldn't it be easier if I had a, a nine to five and I could just go out train in the morning, then after work go and train again? And I've, you haven't got this constant thought in the back of your mind like I should be, I should be yeah. doing work or I should be mm-hmm. out training. And, and having your own schedule, it's uh, it's easier to let things, I guess, to not to not do things because you go, oh, you know, maybe I should be doing more work here and there. But mm-hmm. um, when I was working, yeah, working full time, it was. I just had my weekly schedule down where I, I knew, okay, like Monday, Tuesday, Friday, they mm-hmm. my swim mornings and then those nights I'd go and swim mm-hmm. in the afternoons and it was all just very structured. Whereas when, especially those first couple of years when you can, can train when you want and, and do what you want, it's so easy to just not, to not do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you've got all this time, you think, and then, uh, yeah, and then you say, that's okay, I'll put that off for an hour, but then let that hour go past and there's a good chance you won't be doing that that session or whatever you'd plan to do. Absolutely. What I learned as, as a pro after a while was that things had to be structured almost like this is this is your job and you will be doing this from 6 a.m. until 1 p.m. every day um, unless there is some extreme reason that you aren't going to be training during that time. That is prime time training. And that's pretty much when everything has to fit, unless it's a really long day, in which case it's going to go until four o'clock instead of one o'clock. <laughs> but um, other than that, it's the minute you're done at one, you shower, you eat. If you got to take a quick quick nap, you do it. But if not, you better be sitting at the desk. You know, it's time to work from you know one thirty or two until six or seven at night. And a lot of days were like that. I mean, actually, most days were like that, including the weekends. You know, where. 
there was, cause at some days I only got to work three hours, you know, because there was a really long training day and there can only be three hours of work done. So the next day I better come back if I only have a swim and come back with, with a good seven or eight or else, you know, something was going to slide. So I had to treat it like, this is it. This is how it has to be structured in order for you to get everything done and to do it well. And I, I really, you do start treating it as a job and it starts finally making some money for you as a job so that you're at least breaking even versus actually, you know, <laughs> putting out all your money to it and, and paying for all your trips and, and everything like that. So, um, so yeah, that's when I really found success is when I really treated it with that type of mentality and, and took it really seriously and could get everything done. But yeah, until I did that, it was rough. <laughs> so yeah, well, it sounds like yeah. you had a really good structure, structure in place and just mm-hmm. getting into the habit of, of doing that. That's, you know, when, when that's in place, it, everything's so much easier to, to do. Right. So having that, that daily habit where you, you know, you train in the morning, working at night, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's a good way to do it. And I mean, I know some pros who might, who work say three days a week, uh, mm-hmm. with a, with a company and then, uh, like Monday, yeah. Wednesday, they're, they're, they're not working. So that'd be their big training days. And, and just, mm-hmm. yeah, just that sort of structure can really help to, uh, yeah, just help you have a, a good routine to fly. Absolutely. I totally agree. And if you can do that, then at least you're not doing your, your workout at, you know, it's funny when you have all day to do something, you could end up doing it at eight o'clock at night. I don't know why that happens, yeah. but you just keep, <laughs> you know, you, you have to put in a load of laundry and then you have to do this and then you have to do that. So I think, you know, the more we can be smart and structure things uh, to be able to balance life and still see family and do all those things, I think the better off you are in the long run because yeah, you end up getting things done and the priorities are there. And, and, you know, that way you're not feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm really scrambling at the end of the week to try to get all this work done that I just didn't do for the first four days or, you know, things like that. So, um, mm. so I, I really encourage that any structure works really well for us. And so does routine. So those are, those parts are key for triathletes. Yeah. And, and you're, I mean, what you do now is, uh, is a lot with nutrition. So what, one mm-hmm. thing I wanted to ask about was your, what's your process when working with someone, uh, when you're, looking at their nutrition because I, I'm really interested in in how people look at what someone's doing and then how they'd go about making those changes because I know as a coach when I'm when I'm working with a swimmer I've got this process in my my head of how I evaluate their stroke and mm-hmm. I follow the same process every single time and, um, right. and 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 having that process just gives me gives me structure to to kind of break down what they're doing and then give them a simple or a very clear way that they can then go about improving their stroke because with swimming there's so much to think about and you know if you if you work on one part of their stroke and fix that that can change something else with their stroke so to have this sort of detailed process and um and and to know what that is i I find that being really helpful so when it comes to nutrition is there a certain type of process that you that you use with athletes Absolutely. I think it's it's actually, now that you described that, very similar um, in some ways to the swimming process that you're talking about in that, you know, each each person is, is an individual entity, but there are still things that we have to know um, as dietitians. When we start out, we need to know um, medic, some medical background, so some patient history is really important, so we're, we can understand the full picture of um, everything from medications to herbal preparations they might be on to what is, what's your highest weight, what's your lowest weight that you've ever been? How did you feel at those kind of places? Um, and other things about anything medically that would interfere with diet or any sort of 
um, dietary patterns or restrictions that they're currently placing on themselves that either are for medical reasons or because they really just believe that this is the way that they need to do things. So that could be anything from a vegetarian diet, vegan diet to gluten-free diet. There's a lot of different things that people are doing now and understanding why they are doing those things is is really key because it can be very deeply ingrained and it's going to affect, you know, how you end up counseling that person and, and what you need to do for them. So um, obviously understanding their goals, what, what, so they know a little bit about you now, but what is it that you want to do? What's most important to you? And how can someone like me help? What, what do you expect out of our relationship? And when, when will you see that as successful? If, if we can, you know, is it lose weight, change body composition, or is it just have more energy in the afternoon or feel better during my workouts? You know, there's a lot of different reasons someone works with a sports dietitian. So you got to really dial those in and figure out what is going to make them happy. They're the client. So if this, if X happens, then they're going to feel like this, if, you know, so mm. you have some idea of, of what your expectations are and then going through some questionnaires about their food habits and their knowledge base. So understanding um, how much do they really know? Because some people are starting out from, they've been reading every nutrition article under the sun since they were young and they're very interested in it to other people who have gotten cultural influences or influences from friends and family or just read a couple things on the internet and have really not an education-based background on um, what does it even mean that if I talk, talk to you about what calories are in a food, do you know what I'm even, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, <laughs> do you understand if calorie, the calories are energy or are you scared of calories because someone told you once that calories are a terrible thing to have and you should never have any calories, you know? <laughs> so you have to really try to understand, you know, where you're starting so that you can meet someone where they are. You can't start talking to them about macronutrient ratios if they have no idea what you are talking about. You're doing you're just doing yourself and them no good whatsoever. Um, so I think starting there and then eventually at looking at blood work, looking at um, are those, you know, have they had anything tested? What uh, physiological things are going on that we can address? Because if someone has a low vitamin D or a low iron, we're already working against factors that I, there is no way that I'm going to overcome, you know, factors like that by just changing one thing about their diet we would have to do, you know, a drastic overhaul and do supplementation and do other things to really address those issues before they're going to see any progress and, and feel better. Just giving them an afternoon snack is not going to fix it, you know, for their, mm. for their blood values and things like that. So you've got to, you know, that information is really key for me. And then eventually doing a food record to see, you know, what's happening on weekdays for them and what's happening on the weekends because the weekends are a different time for most people. So how does, what it is that they're doing, um, fit into their life? How, what are their reasoning f for doing what it is they're doing? Do they always have to eat breakfast at this time because their kid is going off to school and they got to, there's the only way to get this in is to do it this way? Or are there other options? You know, what are their, what's their lifestyle like? And um, what's their training like? How much are they training? Do we need to be having a, a diet that addresses calories because they're just not getting nearly enough to train for Ironman? Or do we need to, um, they're only doing an hour a day. And so we really need to scale back at certain times because it just doesn't make sense, you know, what they're doing and they're eating like they are doing the Ironman and they're not. <laughs> so, mm. um, you know, those kind of things I, I think are really key for someone in my position. And then just coming up with two or three things like you do with swimming that they can start with because if you try to overhaul the entire thing at once, because you, if I see seven things that we could correct and I give them all seven, 
they're going to just shut down and say, I can't do any of this. This is way too much. This is so much change. It's so hard for me to think about what it is you're saying. But (laughs) if I say, could you just drink some more water? And could we, you know, maybe um, take an omega-3 fatty acid supplement because, you know, I really feel like this is a lacking thing in your diet. You know, you have a lot of inflammation in your diet and I want you to just take this supplement after talking to your doctor, you know, make sure it's okay, but let's do that. And let's do one other thing, you know, um, let's just get more sleep. (laughs) Then, Then if I say those three things, they go, oh yeah, I can do that. I can totally do that. And then they come back the next week and they say, I did those things and I feel, oh my gosh, so much better. What else do you want me to do? So that's how I think what what I do works best in those kind of situations. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, just you, I guess you're taking a lot of detailed information, and then you kind mm-hmm. of process it and spit out something really simple that they can do to to change. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and seeing long term what the what the ultimate goal is, like what what it is they ultimately want to do. They want to change their body composition or whatever it is. But breaking it down to the smaller things that seem very achievable and, you know, making those barriers to entry and then those barriers to change very small. Because if they're big, then people just can't, we cannot do them. It's just not in our DNA to really tackle all this stuff at once. So if we can mm. just come up with a couple and then we're, and really it's, it probably takes two weeks to really make it feel more ingrained and that it's part of what you're doing now and this is who you are and this is what you do. It takes a while for those kind of things to happen. And, uh, and even as a dietitian, when I first met my coach, every, he said, well, what are you eating for lunch every day? And I said, I'm eating a sandwich. He said, okay. He said, why don't you eat a salad? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to eat a salad. <laughs> he said, well, you aren't really getting enough vegetables during the day. And I said, but I'm a dietitian. He said, yeah, I don't care. You're not getting enough vegetables. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I guess I'll try. And it's funny that one change for me was a big deal. Cause for me, salad was like, oh man, you know, people just eating salad. And then I started eating salad. Then I started liking salad. Then I was making all kinds of different salads. Then I was adding all kinds of, and I thought this is a whole new world. And here I am doing the exact thing that I ask everybody else to do. But for me doing it took a little bit of, you know, he said, if you want to get better, eat a salad for lunch. And I said, okay, with protein. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And so, you know, I was trying all that and I fi- it finally was going so well. And I thought, why didn't I ever do this before? So <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how it works for all of us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's right. And I, I've noticed the same sort of thing when I'm, um, you know, when I'm swimming and I'm just, you know, so many hours mm-hmm. a day working with other people with their technique and everything. And, um, and giving them like sets to do and and things they should be doing in training. And then you Mm -hmm. get to your own stuff and it's like, wow, man, I've just uh, like, you're almost exhausted from, from working with everyone else on it. And sometimes your own, well, for me, it's, you know, sometimes my own swimming or maybe your own nutrition can, can slip a little bit just because you're so focused on it for that, that many hours of the day. So it's um, yeah. But when, you know, when you can sort of take your own medicine, it's uh, you know, it, it works really well. So, like I've found that just doing a couple of um, things in each of my workouts, like I'll always, pretty much all workouts, I'll do even 600 to 800 meters of, of mm-hmm. threshold work, even if it's a, an easier session, because I know mm-hmm. for me, that's what, that's what works. And then there's a couple of drills that I'll do every session because I know that's what mm-hmm. I need to focus on. And, um, and so I've just tried to make it as, as easy as I can to include those things into every training session because, um, yeah, because I, I, you know, I've now got this habit of, all right, these, I do these two, two or three things every session mm-hmm. and that's what's going to get me to where I need to, to be. Whereas if I try and overcomplicate it, it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not getting it done. 
Absolutely. Sometimes I tell people the best thing to do is to create a good habit and then take the thought out of it. Yeah. Just take the thought out of it. And, and it's surprising. The people who, who lose weight and, and all dietitians were always talking about, you know, oh, you have to, you know, be, eat all these different things, be varied in your diet. But the people who lose weight and keep it off are really the people who have figured out what works for them. And they tend to eat the same things on most days. They actually, if you look at their diets, they're pretty darn the same, but the things they're eating on a consistent basis are providing them with good nutrition, enough protein. They're getting in, you know, serve good servings of fats. They're, they're already doing the things that work and they just continue to do them because they found the formula for success and they're not messing with it. So while they might add in something every once in a while here or there, for the most part, their, their diet is varied enough and they're just sticking to what it is that they do and they just do it every day and they don't think. And, and that's almost when we do the best, when we're kind of like on autopilot and these things have become so ingrained that you don't have to think anymore. You make your, your salad every day that you make and maybe you, maybe you throw on one little extra thing as a, just to change it up just a touch. But pretty much hmm. we do the same things and that's how we're successful and that's how you know this kind of thing we usually, sometimes works. Yeah, and that's what happened when when I was training in high school, getting up at quarter past four every morning. Well, not every morning. So I think it was four yeah. mornings a week we'd be doing it. And yeah, as soon as you think about it, as soon as you wake up and go, oh my yeah. God, it's 4.15 in the morning. I want more sleep. Uh, yeah. That's when it, that's when it's easy to hit the snooze button. Um, right. Luckily for me, yeah, my, my dad was my coach. He'd get me up and there's no way I was getting out of it. Mm-hmm. But if, right. if, if it was on me to, to get up and go training, it, it's just... Yeah, you just can't let the emotion or the, I guess the logic, mm-hmm. <laughs> the logic, yeah, um, to 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 come into your thoughts. So yeah, if you can, yeah, you know, I, I knew that I was, I was waking up four fifteen. Then you just kind of like a zombie getting out of bed, putting your bathers, your clothes on, and just walk out the door, have your breakfast, and then get to training. So there's yep. very little thought that goes into it once it's become habit, and that's when you're consistent with it. Yeah, at Pro Camp, um, my coach always says to us, don't think, just do. Because all of us are all, you know, we all get all overanalyzing everything and, oh, why am I not in so-and-so's group? And so I should be as fast as they are. And you move me in the swim lane. I, I can do this. Satisf-. You know, you have all these things that you, that you want that start coming into it. And he says, don't think, just do. Do the workout. Do it like you're supposed to get out of the pool, move on with your life, get, do the, do the bike workout, get on, you know what I mean? Like get out of your own way. We're all so busy analyzing and overanalyzing and bringing all this emotion into it and thinking all about what, what so-and-so did. And so it's, it's just focus on yourself, do what you're supposed to do and be done with it. And actually that ends up working out pretty well. A lot of the time for us, you know, not overanalyzing it and just, um, getting out of your own way. So yeah. Yep. Big time. Um, yeah. and, and then with, with nutrition, is there, is there a couple mm-hmm. of points that a couple of maybe common mistakes or common misconceptions that you see a lot of swimmers or, or triathletes making when it comes to nutrition? Like, you know, with, with swimming, there's, there's always mm-hmm. three, four or five main, main mis- areas that people are making with their stroke. Um, is there a same thing with nutrition? I would say um, for our group, sometimes there are there are things can, some consistent patterns that that I see. Um, I would say um, for one, sometimes people are not uh, eating enough to be able to sustain what it is they're doing. We we as as athletes sometimes tend tend to underestimate drastically um, the amount of activity that we're doing, <laughs> and we sometimes end up really shorting ourselves on. 
um, on calories. And, and we might do that a number of ways. We do it either through saying, I don't need as much during the workout. I'm just going to have water or I'm just going to have, you know, I don't need a sports drink. I don't need any kind of calories coming in for the six hour bike ride. I really want to I really want to, um, you know, have a better body composition. I want to lose some weight. So I'll just, this is where I'll take it off from. And so they end up taking those calories out of workouts or times when their body is literally saying, I'm starving to death. I will use every <laughs> bit of, you know, muscle um, protein. If I have to break down your own protein and your own muscles in order to get the, get this workout fueled, you're giving me no choice. This is exactly what I'll do. And then they come off the workout and they're starving mm. and they eat, they go to a restaurant and they eat you know, the entire pizza and a side of this and a side of that. And then they say, Hmm, I don't know why that didn't go so well. <laughs> well, because you did, you ended up, you know, in the workout, you just wanted to not have any calories during that workout. And your body said, literally I'm starving. And then you went into the first place you saw and, and devoured everything in your path. So I see, uh, you know, in general, a trend sometimes of people not consuming enough overall for their, you know, and then they end up shorting both the workouts and just their own, you know, metabolism really slowing down because we're, they're living in a state of constant underfueling of their entire life. Um, so, you know, really knowing a little bit of what you need um, and, and gauging your activity and, and getting closer to matching those things up, I think is really important. So that's one thing that I see. Um, I think in general, um, just fluid consumption, knowing your sweat rate on the bike, um, know, you know, I, I see a lot of athletes not knowing those kind of variables and just taking a stab at it and, oh, I think I'll just, you know, have, um, you know, half a bottle an hour and really shorting their workouts. And so not, not doing the right things in terms of dehydration and, uh, ending up, you know, coming off of the workout six pounds lighter. Um, so, you know, just being consistent about getting on the scale before and after, you know, and thinking they know what they're doing and thinking they've got it all figured out. And then they go into a hot race and, it's a complete implosion and they spent all this money and all this time, you know, doing it and getting ready for it. And then they end up, you know, really not having a good experience. And if they just would have taken the time to really understand their sweat rate, understand how many ounces they need per hour, get really diligent about doing that on a, on a regular basis. And, um, you know, using a sports drink for sure, if it's over an hour workout and getting electrolytes, getting calories, all those things that they need to get carbohydrates, then they end up, you know, can have a much better experience. Um, so that's one that I, I see a lot. Um, trying to think what else, um, you know, spreading protein throughout the day. I, I see athletes as just like the rest of the American population well, and other populations where we get it all at dinner or, and, you know, lunch and dinner, but basically no protein throughout the day. So what we found is that you need some at breakfast, you need it at lunch, you need it at dinner, but you don't need all of it at dinner. You don't want to have the entire day's allotment at dinner. When you spread it out, your body is much more able to utilize it to build muscle and repair muscle. Mm. So you can, if you can get a solid dose in the morning with some eggs or Greek yogurt or things like that, if you can get 20, 25 grams of protein in the morning and then 20, 25 at lunch, 20, 25 at dinner, and then a couple of snacks and maybe a snack before bed, um, especially on big training days with protein, then you're in a much better spot and you're going to recover faster and you're going to feel better. Um, so just not adhering to what everybody else is doing, you know, really making a change within your own diet to, to be a better athlete and to feel better throughout the day um, is a big one. And let me think if there's anything else, you know, just, just knowing your blood values, you know, even at the beginning of the season, um, people think that they, they, they just should feel tired if you're training for some of these races and you should feel a little bit tired, but you shouldn't feel exhausted. Um, so, you know, really knowing what those values are for nutrition and having a baseline, I think is really important as well. Um, so you know where you're starting and if things go haywire, you can go back and look 
and see what, what things were at the beginning of the season and then use that information to see if you need to make any changes halfway through. So does that involve getting a, a blood test? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like actually going to your doctor and, and saying, listen, I'm going to be embarking on this journey or I, I have been feeling a little tired. I'm not sure how some of my values are. Could you check my vitamin D? Could you check a full iron panel to see um, that I do have enough, not just iron circulating, but also iron in terms of storage form of ferritin so that I know if you know, over time I've been storing enough iron and that, you know, my six months, six months ago looks as good as it did now. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, so that, yeah, they would actually run that with their doctor. Um, just at the beginning of the season, it's always good to do baseline testing for, for blood work, Mm. not for nutrition. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, a lot of doctors will run it for you. Uh, what are some changes that you've made to your own diet? And we sort of, you sort of touched on this earlier, mm-hmm. but what are some changes yeah. that you've made to your own nutrition based on what you've learnt as a nutritionist over the last couple of years? Well, the great thing is I've been able to bring all this to real life through my own training and, and all those things because I had to get even better than I was at an amateur as an amateur if I want, I wanted to be you know one of the, the more competitive pros. So I had to take it to the next level. And one of the ways... Um, that I did that was just to get a lot more meticulous about um, when I was fueling, making sure, like like I talked about with the protein, getting it in at very key times, especially after workouts, um, to make sure that I got that 20 or 25 grams in um, within a certain time period after a workout. And it can be from whole food. It didn't have to be from a supplement. But if I was going to be away, I had to get better with planning. I had to get better with having things um, powder with me to make a protein shake or, you know, how was I going to get in that next, that next supplement or next meal before I had to go back out again and work out again. So really getting better about the planning. Planning is huge and nobody wants to do it, but everybody wants it to be easy. So you can't have both. You have to plan if you want it to be easy. There's no other way about it. So if, if I spend an hour on Sundays thinking about, okay, we're going to have, um, you know, I'm going to roast some chicken breasts and we're going to have something with chicken on Monday and Wednesday and Friday, but it won't be the same thing, but at least I have the meat portion, the protein portion figured out, you know, and then I'm going to have, I'm going to grill some steak and we're going to have that on Tuesday and Thursday. And so then I would, I would have those things done and then I would be able to just figure out what the sides were going to be for each of those. Okay. I'm going to do some steamed vegetables this night, have, make sure I have everything on hand for the week so that dinner was figured out. Lunch was just about the same every day. And breakfast usually involved some eggs for me because I was really trying to get enough protein in the morning and and eggs and things like that give you staying power so that you can not feel hungry three hours later, you know, two hours later, you can feel like, okay, I feel pretty sustained by this. So um, really making sure I did those kind of things. I started drinking beet juice. I was taking omega-3 fatty acids. I just started doing every little possible advantage thing that I could do. Um, you know, protein at night on big workout days, you know, to have 20 grams before I went to bed when I knew my muscles were really going to be rebuilding themselves. Um, so, you know, little things like that, um, and keeping blood sugar just as stable as possible all day by having enough fruits and vegetables. So getting lots of fiber, um, throughout the day and, and not really binging on sugary things or things I wanted to have just because I was training, you know, and I was, I deserved them because I was training by saying, no, Kim, you can have, you know, one meal a week where you get to go out and be like the rest of the world and you can go out and do whatever it is you want with your friends and have a couple glasses of wine and whatever. But other than that, you know, I, I love wine and I had to back it down. (laughs) So, 
<laughs> my coach is like, I'm going to put you on a little wine protocol. You can only have, you know, two glasses one night of the week. That's it. He's like, that's all. That's all the calories we can afford. And it messes with your recovery. Um, it dehydrates you and it has a bunch of different bodily processes happen. So I see a lot of athletes, you know, drinking on a regular basis. And the fact is it's working against you. So you decide what you want to do. Yeah. You might be able to afford the calories, but can you afford to come back and do a six hour bike ride the next day? And feel good, you know, do you really want to be short in your body getting going into that or right afterward when you're totally dehydrated and feels real great to have one, but you better hydrate too. You just got to at least be smart about it. So yeah, stuff like that was really big for me. Does that help? Does that that's, answer it? No, that, yeah, that, that's great. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of similar to how I, like with the coaches who, um, who coached our clinics, they're all, mm -hmm. they're all both athletes and, yeah. and coaches because they've got that experience and they know they know how it feels to do certain things in your swimming and they know what it takes to make it to a to a top level and it's the same yep. thing with nutrition is like you've you've experienced it you, you know how hard it is to give up wine and all this sort of stuff mm -hmm. so you can relate that to your clients when you're when you're working yeah. with them so I think that's so important is to have that that personal experience with it as well because you can just relate so much better to the people you work with. Yeah, I agree. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like I said, I still went out for a meal a week and did whatever I wanted because I wanted to enjoy time socializing with friends and things like that. But I was really strategic about it. And I realized that I wanted something so bad that I was willing to put everything about else about my life pretty much into this box. And it had to work like this during this time because this is how badly I wanted. And I wasn't going to let one thing be the reason why after putting in all that training, I certainly wasn't going to, you know, let my wine habit be the thing that, you know, was the reason why I got fifth place <laughs> instead of third. I just wasn't going to do it. And my husband had sacrificed too much and I had put in too much time. So I think for all of us, it's, it's about weighing those priorities and realizing um, how much balance do you need in your life? If you need more, then guess what? Your prior, your, your, what you want out of the race course might have to be adjusted. You know, it, it's all about the level of sacrifice being commiserate with the goals that you expect to achieve. So if you are willing to sacrifice a lot and be disciplined a lot, then your goals can be really high. And if you are not willing to sacrifice that much because you want to live a very full and balanced life and that is awesome, then guess what? You know, the, our sport doesn't really work like that. You can't do usually all of it at once. So you have mm -hmm. to kind of pick your seasons or pick your times of year, you know, really wisely. I like my athletes to go off the grid at the end of the season. I say gain six pounds and go mm -hmm. out and don't talk to me for the next, you know, month or month and a half. I don't want to hear from you. I want you to go out and be, you know, live a normal life. And then they come back and they go, okay, I'm ready to train again <laughs> because exactly. they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. They got to get refreshed and get totally, you know, do whatever they want and get, get out of that. But then they're ready to come back and, and be able to be disciplined again and get back into the routine. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. I know every time that every time winter comes around after our main swim season is finished, I know I'm going to mm -hmm. put on a couple of kilos. I'm not going to be yeah. swimming much. I'm not going to be exercising much. But then after a couple of weeks, you come back and go, all right, I'm ready to get stuck in it because mm -hmm. I feel like crap. I look like crap. And yep. I just need to, I just need to get myself fit again. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's all about the, uh, I guess the, the equilibrium there where you're training so mm -hmm. hard for so long and then you just need that, that rest time, that balance there. Yeah, it's good for your mind. It's good for your mind to take time away. So you're going to come back a, a much better refreshed person if you lose the fitness and then you, you have to come back like everybody else. Your mind needs that break. Definitely.
Definitely. Yeah. And, and you've got, um, so for the people listening to the, the podcast, you're, you've got a, a camp coming up in March and you also do some uh, nutrition work with people. So can you just uh, talk about that yeah. for a little bit and, and what you've got going on? Absolutely. Well, if people want to get in touch with me, my business name is Fuel Your Passion, F-U-E-L, Your Passion. So that's pretty easy. It's actually .net. So if you want to find me via my website or Twitter, Twitter is at Fuel Your Passion. Um, so you can always find me there. And then we do have a camp. Uh, another coach, Dennis, and I are going to be running a camp in Ormond Beach, Florida, March 22nd through the 26th. And it's a triathlon camp that will focus on everything from just learn a lot of learning and then some training, but mostly skill work, both in the pool and obviously with running and, and biking. So um, we're doing all three sports and it's going to be a five day camp. So we're doing that. And I coach as well as I have an assistant coach. So if people are looking for either coaching or nutri- certainly nutrition advice, I work with athletes um, on sports nutrition from all over the world. So I'm able to do that via Fuel Your Passion. I'm a registered dietitian and a sports dietitian specifically. So um, and I'm getting my master's right now. So I'm, I'm a busy I'm a busy girl <laughs> on these days. The plate, but, uh, yeah. yeah, just a couple. I'm also teaching a college class on sports nutrition. So yeah, <laughs> I might have taken on a lot this year. A little more than I was uh, planning on, but um, but life is good and full and, and amazing. So I love working with athletes. I think they're so motivated and such an awesome group. So I have the, literally the best job in the world. It sounds so. like you. It sounds like you absolutely love it, which is so important. And it's uh, yeah. And, and just having you on the podcast, it comes through in the way you you speak as well. So it's um, I love having people like yourself on the podcast and just getting to to share ideas and get your take on a lot of things because. It's um, yeah. Every time I, every time I have someone new on the podcast, mm-hmm. it's, I, I learn something from them and, and able to take that back into my own training, my own coaching, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and just getting all these these different ideas and you know whether it might be the nutrition stuff that you've spoken about or even just the way you the way you, you know, feel about training and pushing yourself and and being at that that professional level of triathlon. It's um it, it's so good to be be around athletes like yourself so kim it's been awesome having you on the podcast and uh no doubt we'll get you back on in a couple of weeks or a couple of months time because i've really enjoyed this yeah me too brent it's been so nice to meet you i think we're kindred spirits we we are helping people and we both are just loving what we're doing and um i had so much fun this was fantastic so i hope everybody got a little bit out of it and i would love to come back so you anytime and I will I will totally be game for it so thank you for having me thanks for joining us on the effortless swimming podcast to get transcriptions bonus videos and to be the first to hear about new episodes go to swimmingpodcast.com